Hello from Hollywood and welcome to the Greatest Show on Grass podcast. I'm your host and ringmaster, Joshua Newman, and I'm joined by Tanisha Singleton. The Greatest Show on Grass explores the past, present, and future of the recently reconstituted Los Angeles Rams. You know, the NFL announced the 2016 schedules in between hard knocks, the trade for the number one pick, and the selection of the new cheerleaders. We haven't gotten around to discussing it. So today, we'll be talking about each matchup of the 2016 season. Uh, A schedule necessarily points to the future, but we'll also try to incorporate some history uh, into this conversation. There's certain games that always get recalled when these matchups come about, or at least they should uh, get recalled. We'll also turn back the clock to one of the greatest matchups in Rams team history, that between the 1950 LA Rams and the Cleveland Browns. All right, so preseason jumps off on August 13th, but we're going to skip those games, just dive right into the regular season because that's what everybody is really excited about. In game one, we open on Monday Night Football, which is going to be extremely exciting, and that's going to be September 12th in Santa Clara against San Francisco 49ers. So, and that's really going to be, I think one of the things that I'm going to look for because it's presumed golf is going to be the starting quarterback Mm -hmm. for the Rams now. And that whole, I can just see like the narrative being like, all right, he's coming home. He's, you know, Cal bear up in Berkeley. He's back in the Bay area. The stage can't be any bigger. The lights aren't going to be any brighter. This is, we're really going to see if this kid can, remain calm under these kind of circumstances and just see how he's going to play in his hometown, essentially with all of his friends, family there. And, and it's a divisional game. So all, any of the divisional games I think are always going to be, have that little asterisk next to it as having like the most importance to it. Yep. Yep. Look, as far as the NFL scheduling goes, this was, this, this was utter perfection. Uh, the LA Rams starting off the season against their uh, most intense rival in -hmm. history um, is the teams uh, have virtually played to a dead heat uh, over the course of history. The Rams have won 64, the Niners have won 66 and they've tied three times. This rivalry goes back to 1950 when the Niners uh, first joined the NFL Uh, The first game between the teams took place October 1st, uh, 1950. During that game, uh, the Niners managed to knock out Rams quarterback Bob Waterfield. Even when the Rams went to uh, St. Louis, um, even after he went to St. The Rams went to St. Louis. Roger Craig uh, once said that the the Rams will always be the 49ers biggest rival. It doesn't matter if they, they play in Los Angeles, he said. If they played their home games on Mars, it would still be a rivalry. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think the lust, the Rams Niners rivalry lost a little luster since um, the Rams left for St. Louis. Um, but what a great way uh, to pick things up. Um, they're having some quarterback uncertainty too over there. We're mm-hmm. not sure what they're looking to do with cap. Sure. And they were five and eleven last year. Rams seven and nine. So we're really looking for two teams. I think that are trying to turn a new leaf, move over a little bit, and get over that hurdle. And especially this being such a heated rival or rivalry, um, I think it's going to be a hard knock. I mean, people don't even remember. I mean, people think L.A. Dodgers, San Francisco Giants is a big rivalry. This one, those two teams were playing in New York when the Rams and the Niners were breaking each other's legs. 
So that's a good point. I, I LA San Francisco thing, period. Like that whole huge. Yeah. I mean, this was the first of the LA San Francisco sports rivalries. Um, SoCal, NorCal, very heated. These teams also have Monday night football history. A lot of um, Niner fans uh, cherish their memory of John Taylor uh, catching 11 balls for 286 yards against uh, the Rams in 1989. A couple years earlier, um, in actually 1985, the Rams had uh, seven, put up 17 in the fourth quarter. Um, to beat the Niners 27-20 in Candlestick. Um, It just doesn't get, honestly, I mean, the sports cliches, I hate to utter them, (laughs) but it kind of doesn't get any better than this. I mean, if you had told me a year ago that the LA Rams would be taking on the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. Opening the regular season. To open 2016. (laughs) It would only be better, I guess, if it was here. Right or yeah. well, I, I would, it would be better if it was here, if not for Goff, because I feel mm-hmm. like the idea of marching into you know the Forty ers stadium with a local boy mm-hmm. wearing our uniform, I think that's pretty badass. Yeah. Um, and and ripe with meaning. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's that's a great game and 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 one that um, you know, maybe I'll maybe I don't know. You want to head road down trip? to yeah, road trip. <laughs> road trip show on. Uh, Greatest show on the five. The I five. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, our home opener is the following week, September eighteenth, against Seattle, and they, of course, were ten and six last season. But we beat them twice. We beat them both times last year, and that was with Foles and Keenum as our quarterbacks. So yeah. now, <laughs> yeah. so I would think that we feel a little bit confident in that matchup against the Seahawks, especially now like Marshawn retired. He had that awesome tribute, hung his cleats up on the thing and whatever. And he's just like, I'm out. Yeah. It was very cool. But I think that's going to leave a lot of question marks for them. I don't know their roster that deep as terms of like, all right, well, who do they have? uh, What are they looking for in the secondary and whatever? But I think we're confident against them. We beat them twice with, like I just said, Keenum and Foles. Goff though has to, I think just still remain calm. And I think that's when Jeff Fisher is going to have to do some awesome coaching to get these guys ready still. Cause then you're not, you're, you're home now. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're home now, uh, you know, spirits are high. Uh, expectations are higher. Um, we've beaten these guys. We're not going to surprise this team the way mm-hmm. we have the last few years. The Rams actually have um, won 15 uh, lost 21 against the Seahawks. Uh, since the Seahawks have come into the league in 76. Um, haven't played too many games against the Seahawks because they were in the AFC for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was trying to think, I was trying to think of like one truly memorable game against the Seahawks that defined the mm-hmm. Rams Seahawks. Honestly, that first game of last year, 2015, Aaron that- Donald and Brockers sandwiching Marshawn Lynch on, the, on mm-hmm. fourth and one in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, it might did, be it. It, didn't, it doesn't <laughs> get much better than that. I, I um, yeah, I mean, I think the Rams uh, maybe um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams weren't at, took, might take a step back within the division. I don't think they can take for granted that they're going to beat up on Seattle and Arizona every year, the way oh, they sure. did the last couple of years. Um, but, um, or have at times over the last couple of years, but 
this is going to be a fun one. I hate the Seahawks. That's going to be a great game. <laughs> Absolutely. And game three, September 25th, it's going to be at Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who were 6-10 and 10 last year, last in their division, NFC South. And, you know, it's what I'm kind of looking at here is a shootout, possibly. I mean, we've got the two number one picks, potentially, Goff and Winston. And so I'm kind of going to see, I want to see them kind of shoot out a little bit, almost like Jameis had against Mariota, the one and two picks last year with the Titans. Mm. That was such an exciting game. And everybody was like, oh, well, maybe they made a mistake. And I'm number one pick. I don't know. Blah, blah. But I think I'm going to expect kind of like that shootout there. I don't think Tampa Bay is that big of a defensive threat necessarily for the Rams. So I think we can match them up there. So I think this game is going to be decided on the offensive end. Yeah. Uh, Rams have had some luck against luck or um they've had the buccaneers number um since they since the bucks came into the league they're 15 and 8 against them and probably most famously uh beat them in two two championship games uh that landed them in the super bowl um and both were like defensive struggles uh 9 to nothing in tampa stadium january 6 1980 and 11 to 6 in the dome uh mm-hmm. in st louis January 23rd, 2000. Um, that was the game, of course, that Ricky Prohl caught that um, that end of the game touchdown pass. Um, that- I, mean, I think with this Bucks team, I think they might feel a little good about how they ended their season, though. They won the last three of their four. They won the last three of four games, um, but still ended 10 and six. But like I said, I'm going to expect a shootout in that game with Winston and Goff. And week four is October 2nd. At Arizona Cardinals, their division, 13-3, and three, won that division, obviously. You got Carson Palmer, you got Larry Fitzgerald all day. So I'm going to look at Tremaine Johnson as our cornerback against Larry Fitzgerald. Can mm-hmm. we contain him? Can you stop him? I, I hate see. Bruce Arians. You know, I, I got to say, I, I mean, it's Division hard. you're supposed to, and he's but got he's a hateable. chip on his shoulder. Like, he's, he's so hateable. He claims the Rams play dirty. Um, they had knocked out Carson Palmer a couple of years ago on a kind of a freak play with Mark Barron just grabbing a hold of it, of a leg that twisted the wrong way, I believe. So Arizona Cardinals were the St. Louis Cardinals. And before that, they were the Chicago Cardinals. So they have a long history playing the Rams. Uh, once again, it's it's tight. Uh, the Rams are 36, 37 and two against uh, the Cardinals. Um, I think their most iconic game together was a a 1975 uh, playoff game in which the 12 and two Rams um, would beat the 11 and three Cardinals. It was a, we talked about a defense defense game. This was a defense offense game. Uh, The Rams defense uh, uh, was number one in the NFL in 1975 they allowed 135 points the entire year. And in this game, they went up against uh, the Don Coriel coached Cardinals, who had the second best uh, offense in the league that year. Coach Chuck Knox uh, only decided on who would play quarterback the day of the game. And he surprised many by naming Ron Jaworski, the Polish rifle. The quarterback over over the Polish rifle. <laughs> it yeah, sounds like a wrestling name. The I Polish love Polish rifle, uh, and that was ahead of James Harris, who had become the first black to start quarterback in the NFL in '74. 
Rams got off to a huge lead in that game and just basically milked the clock with Lawrence McCutcheon uh, in the second half. McCutcheon set a playoff record with 202 yards that game. Um, that was like Jack Youngblood in his like total heyday. He like kind of did everything that game. A sack, a forced fumble, a blocked extra point, returned an interception for a touchdown. What else can you do? Uh, it was like, a great game, 75. Um, so uh, it's some it's a it's a fun game to think about every time the, the Rams play the Cardinals. Sure. And week five at home, October 9th against Buffalo. Buffalo was eight and eight last year, but they were league ranked first in rushing last year. So I wouldn't sleep on Buffalo. But that plays into our hands. We're yes. no one. No, I mean, theoretically, that plays into our hands. We we try to, we try to stop the run mm-hmm. um, before the pass. If the last few years we've been more vulnerable against the pass. Um, so if they can get out to a quick start, stuffing that run, it's going to be a long day for Tyrod T- Taylor, whoever's playing quarterback, the Bills, right. Because it's going to be, you know, Shady McCoy all day. So I'm going to look for, you know, William Big Play Hayes to nice. make some big plays. <laughs> you know, he's going to, I think, I, I think he had a few forced fumbles last year. And yeah. I know he had several um, that he picked up. So I'm going to look for them and Barron too to come back and just force turnovers. Nice. Clog the middle right there. These two teams have only played 11 times. This is going to be the 12th time these teams play. play. The Rams are five and six against Buffalo over the course of, um, history um just five and six just five and six just 11 times um not a big sample the first time they played uh was in 1970 september of 70 the rams shut out the bills 19 to nothing uh rams db clancy williams picked off three passes that day all right and in week six october 16th it is at detroit lions who were seven and nine last year and of course, their big story is, you know, Megatron is gone. So, but they still have Golden Tate, a wide receiver. Their top rusher, Amir Abdullah, is still there, who was awesome in Nebraska. And I remember him was like a Heisman candidate, I think, at the time. So that's going to be another one of those defensive run games where that, you know, apparently the Rams were really good, yeah. I guess, right, at stopping that run. Because I'm not necessarily certain still that this is going to be Stafford throwing for you know two three hundred or something like that i think this is you know going to be made on the defensive side 43 and 40 and one against the lions the lions uh uh have a long history so these teams have been playing each other for years and years and years they played each other uh I, i was just looking at old box scores uh something i do uh uh for fun in my uh uh, frighteningly Rams isn't that fun that's what we uh, do for fun is we look um, at box scores <laughs> so there is this box score from 1950 now a game in 1950 the rams beat the lions this box score is just in is just insane to read the rams won this game 65 to 24 um 65 to 24 <laughs> i was like wait what <laughs> this was like this was the greatest show on grass days i mean this was the heyday they didn't win the championship in 50 we actually later in today's episode, we'll talk about that championship game against the Browns, which some consider the greatest game NFL ever. game ever. Um, but earlier in the season, they were just just steamrolling everybody. Um, and this was one steamrolled opponent. Yeah. Uh, the box score fears 13 yard pass from Van Brocklin. Van Brocklin, one yard run. 
for a touchdown. Vitamin Smith, 67-yard pass from Bob Waterfield. Wait, hold up. Bob Waterfield, 30-yard <laughs> field goal. Elroy Hirsch, 31-yard pass from Norm Van Brocklin. Glenn Davis, 45-yard pass from Norm Van Brocklin. Dan Towler, 3-yard run. Tom Fears, 30-yard pass. Vitamin Smith, 93-yard kickoff return. And Bob Boyd, 42-yard pass from Norm Van Brocklin. We had, they were going back and forth with the quarterbacks, just... uh vanilla and chocolate there um and vitamins love it and vitamin smith yeah of course he was one uh you know the ram he was one of those backs that the rams threw to out of the backfield um that was one of their big innovations um i had to write that name down vitamin he's a stud you have to be you have to be healthy as hell if your name's vitamin (laughs) it's true yeah i don't know why he was called vitamin but um so yeah, that sounds like it's the heyday greatest show on grass that season, that game. 60, what a 69 to 25 20? to 24. Yeah, that's uh, an asshole. That was a ridiculous um they they you know they ran the ball more in 1951. They the 51 recipe was bull elephant, bull elephant backfield pounding the ball a little bit more and then mostly throwing to Elroy Hirsch. 51 was, you know, where that was that crazy uh, Elroy Hirsch year that we talked about um in our second episode. Right on. And week seven, October 23rd, it is our home game against the New York Giants, but the game is not taking place here in L.A. It is taking place in London. So for this Sunday game, it's not going to be Sunday night. It will actually be at 6.30 a.m. So it's going to be a nice and bright and early Sunday morning for us L.A. Rams fans that are going to get up and watch this game. The Giants, of course, were 6-10 and 10 last year, and in this game... A lot of highlights, a lot, lot of names that you'll recognize. Victor Cruz, obviously, OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. So, of course, I'm going to start looking for our corners again, like Tremaine Johnson. I'm going to be looking at these things. They're running back, Rashad Jenkins. I'm going to look to see what can Gurley do, put up some higher numbers, um, and so we can run downfield. Yeah, I want, I'm, we're, I want to watch also uh, see who uh, Janoris Jenkins is going to be covering on the other side of the field. Who is he going to try to match up with Tavon? Um, the Rams are uh, 26 and 16 over the course of their history against the Giants. Um, some of these games require, some of these matchups require some research. The most memorable Los Angeles Rams, New York Giants game does not require any research. Um, any uh, Ram fan that has been rooting for this team for some time. Uh, will immediately conjure thoughts of Flipper Anderson in the 1989 divisional playoff game. 19 uh, actually took place in 1990. Technically, it's the 1989 divisional playoff game. Uh, Flipper Anderson from Paulsboro, New Jersey, burning Mark Collins deep in the Meadowlands to beat the Giants 19 to 13 in front of 76,000 disappointed Giants fans. And then Flipper running directly through the tunnel and into the locker room with the touchdown catch in his hands. Um, some say he's still running west on Interstate Interstate 80. <laughs> he's still um, But uh, that game, um, I, I still can hear myself screaming on that one. But um, I, I, you know, there's no way to not think of Flipper Anderson when the Giants and the Rams get on the same field. And they will in London in week seven. Week eight is our bye. So week nine, it is at home against the Carolina Panthers, of course, came up short in the Super Bowl. They were 15 and one. And what can you not say about the Panthers? There's pretty much 
they're locked. They know it. They're confident. By this middle of the season, I think they're going to be even more aggressive. I think they're pissed. <laughs> I think Cam is going to try and come back and prove something in addition to Greg Olson. And they're, you know, so this is going to be, I think, a coaching game. I think Fisher, Ron Rivera, they're going to have to, it, it's going to be matchups in this game. And the Panthers, yeah, I don't want to, I never want to look at a schedule and be like, okay, that's an L. I think the Rams that's are going to win w. this game. I you think, do. I, I do think the Rams are going to win this game. I think looking at the schedule, I think. Coming off a bye. Yeah, coming off a bye. And I, I just th- see in terms of the tough games, I think they're going to drop more than usual within the division. Um, I think third. within the division, they'll be propped up a little bit too much as uh, I think they'll be a ra- overrated a little within the division. I think this is a game where they'll, where they'll truly find themselves as underdogs. They tend to relish they, these opportunities. They tend to play up to competition when mm-hmm. they know the competition is above them. Mm-hmm. I really think they're going to win this game. I think um, Carolina is going to have trouble moving the ball against the Rams. Uh, I think after a, I would hope after a bye week, they'll come up with some, some something to do creatively on the offensive end of the field. Um, it's, it's a game I have circled as well. Um, we know I, you'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> you, you will be there bright and early. These teams have played, uh, you know, the Rams haven't had much love. They're eight. The Rams are eight and 12 against Carolina. Um, and probably the most famous game the two teams played ended disastrously for the Rams. It was a, a double overtime game in 2003 that ended with a 69 yard pass to Steve Smith. Um, it was the fifth longest game in, in league history. And from my standpoint, one of the most painful, um, you know, if you want, you're looking for a, a cheerier memory, um, a couple of years earlier, um, the Rams beat Carolina 48, 14 during the sort of heyday of the greatest show on turf. Um, you know, the greatest show on turf, we, we think about the aerial kind of assault, of Kurt Warner throwing the ball mm-hmm. deep to Isaac Bruce or Tory Holt or, um, you know, or Marshall Falk catching the ball out of the backfield. It's important to remember this team did pretty much whatever it wanted offensively in this game against Carolina in 2001. The Rams outrushed Carolina 337 to 31. Damn. Yeah. Marshall Falk with 183. And Trung Candidate, the backup, uh, with 145. So uh, that's, uh, in general, uh, this is a team that's given the Rams uh, trouble historically. Um, but that's, that's, that's a fun game to, to, to think about. Oh, yeah. That, that was one of the first ones, you know, that I circled like, all right. Don't know if I'm going to go per se, but I will be locked in for sure. Because I, I agree with you. I think teams that know they're kind of in that second tier, they will play up to their level of competition because they have that mentality of like, all right, what do I have to lose? Now, the problem is the Rams tend to play down to their competition as well, but um, like underestimating them a little bit, or if they're playing somebody weaker then they'll just they're not, basically, they're just not good enough to take anyone for granted, but they're not bad enough for anyone to take them to sleep to, on. Yeah. Yeah. For granted. Yeah, for sure. So that again um, is week nine and then in week 10 it is the new york jets who were 10 and 6 and that game is november 13th day game and what the jets now you were just saying that you think these two teams are extremely similar right um 
they were similar last year. I don't know what's going to happen this year, but on paper, yeah, very tough defenses. Because the Jets just got Matt Forte from the Bears, which I think is an awesome move for yep. them. Forte, do not sleep on him. So this is... And he, he's been trouble for the Rams historically. But yeah, on paper, they're similar teams. You know, tough defenses led by incredibly physical uh, and athletic defensive lines. Uh, unclear, which every year they go back and forth, I think, having the best defensive line in, in the game. And kind of a lot of question marks on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Jets might be a little stronger at wide receiver. Um, Eric offensive Decker. lines and Brandon Marshall. I, offensive lines are in flux. Their quarterback issues quarterback still. We don't know flux, if they've got Fitzpatrick. Strong still. running back. But I think, mm-hmm. yeah, um, plodding, boring, uh, <laughs> offense with question marks and a head coach that seems t- and head coaches that seem more interested in defense than offense to sort of reinforce the whole thing. So uh, I won't say mirror images, but but similar teams The Rams have kind of owned the Jets number um, uh, nine and four historically. The most for me, easy one, most uh, memorable game between the two teams was actually it was actually a loss. Uh, but the fourth game of 1983 uh, the Rams played the Jets at Shea Stadium, and this is was this both announced the uh, arrival of Eric Dickerson, and um, and sort of also announced the sort of um, uh, Mark Gastineau as a kind of public enemy number one type. Um, this game, Dickerson uh, rushed twenty eight times for one hundred ninety two yards. Um, this was his rookie year. He would rush for over 1,800 yards that season uh, behind an incredible offensive line. Um, but I think, uh, you know, this game was most interesting for the fight that broke out between the two teams. Gastineau would sack uh, Vince Ferragamo uh, for the lone jet sack of the game and 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 launch into what was what he then called his sack dance. This was before uh, the celebration rules were in place. Boo. And it was, you know, we would find out later that a lot of this dance was probably fueled by steroids and other strange whatever Gastineau um snorted in, ingested um <laughs> injected injected but um the Rams didn't uh take kindly to this and a huge fight break broke out and Jackie Slater um just sort of smacked Gastineau upside the head and Gastineau every time he tried to go into his dance a different Ram would hit him both teams ran onto the field the whole field was filled with players eventually Gastineau went to the Jets sideline to finish his dance um <laughs> like oh okay i'm gonna go over there now you don't like it over here yeah okay wow so that's september 25th 1983 also the uh, afternoon that i became a rams fan <laughs> was that, the day that was the date that was the game that was it yeah You're like these guys are fine. it was about standing up to a bully yeah in a way and um yeah that was it i was a a, a yeah, let's see how that's old was I? I was 11 years old in suburban new jersey and uh, I like, was you know watching what? the game on a carpeted uh, rec room floor. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it was great. It was a great like, game. I like these guys. And I love Dickerson. Dickerson um, he was um, like uh, a running back. I had never seen anything quite like him on the field. Um, so that's the day I became a Rams fan. 
Oh, nice. So, yeah, the Jets, you always kind of circle that one because that's that's your game. Yep. That was it. That was your moment. <laughs> and in week 11, we are at home against the Miami Dolphins on November 20th. Dolphins were 6-10. and 10. A little bit of uncertainty, I think, with them. They've got a first-year head coach um, in Adam Gase, and he came over from the Chicago Bears as their offensive coordinator, now head coach of the Miami Dolphins. So I kind of expect, I put a W on this one. I was like, all right, I'm pretty sure the Rams, I think, are going to be able to take this. Um, Other than Tannenhill, meh, I I don't know what what much else to say about the Dolphins. I think this is one of those statement games that the Rams are going to have to make, especially if they, we've all kind of agreed over this course that, all right, we need to at least be eight and eight, Mm -hmm. right? Be better than last year. This is, I think, one of those statement games that they're going to have to make. It's just, it has to be a gimme. Yeah, I had trouble, uh, I had similar trouble um, with the history, quite frankly. They're, they've played only 12 times, these teams. Um, the Rams have won twice. The Dolphins have won 10 times. So they've struggled with the Dolphins. Um, one of those um, wins, uh, however, was in 1976 on October 3rd. We talked about James Harris um, getting benched in that game against the Cardinals. Um, this was James Harris the following year getting sort of his last chance as a quarterback for the Rams um, and having his most, maybe not his best game, but his most prolific game yards wise. He threw for 436 yards, two, two long ones to Ron Jesse um, accounted for a lot of that. And the Rams won 31 to 28 in the orange bowl. And in week 12, it is at the New Orleans Saints, who were 7-9 and nine last year, and that is November 27th. Uh, there were a couple of teams that I had circled that, you know, I want to always watch most of their games, the Saints being one of them. And especially now with the Rams, I do want to watch particularly close because John, um, Laurinaitis, obviously, former Ram, traded over to the New Orleans Saints. And with Drew Brees, Mark Ingram, this is going to be, I think, one of those tougher teams. And you hear seven and nine, and I think they were better than what their record kind of reflected. So this is going to be what we just talked about, having to meet your opponent's level um, and and try and make an impact in this game. And I think it's going to have to be done on the defensive side of the ball, stopping Mark Ingram, stopping Drew Brees from going insane, which we know, even though he's, what, 39? Yeah. I don't know. He's I know he's up there. Um we should score a lot of points against this. this you Orleans. have to against New Can Orleans. Can you imagine Lauren? I, I mean, I, I hate to I enjoy this too much, but Lauren, I trying to cover Gurley out of the backfield. I mean, he couldn't even cover Frank Gore. How is he going? I mean, that's it's I, look, I want to see a lot of points. Um, I hope they're all up. mic'd up too. Um, that'll be fun. Too. <laughs> We're um, we've won 40 and lost 32 against the saints uh, over the course of history. Uh, you know, most memorable game, um, these two teams met up probably would be November 26, 1989. Um, once again, I'm going to, you know, invoke the memory of Willie Flipper Anderson. Uh, Flipper Anderson breaks the NFL record for yards um, receiving in a game, catching 15 balls in the Superdome for 336 yards um only one touchdown um and the rams won that game in in overtime um that i just the thing i remember about that game oh of course i was watching in new jersey as a kid but 
it went really, really late. I think I fell asleep before Willie Anderson like set the record, but um, <laughs> that was Jim Everett throwing, you know, going crazy. That was a Ellard, Henry Ellard was hurt that game, so pretty much they only had one receiver. Um, why the Saints didn't know that, I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, uh, 15 catches, 336 yards, an NFL record against the Saints. Wow. And in week 13, New England Patriots, they're in Foxborough. They were 12 and four. And this is on the fourth of the 12th month, December 4th. And yeah, you've got Brady will be in by this. I know that he's going to be out the first four weeks. But, I feel uh, like, yeah, if you know, because to, to flake gate, obviously mm-hmm. we, we just learned that he the court says four games. The Rams were victimized by Spygate. Um, in uh, their Super Bowl against the Patriots. So let me uh, tell you about I think and Belichick. it would be great if one of those four games he had to sit out was against the Rams just as a kind of like, Fuck I you. don't know, pay, pay, pay your respects to the fact that like you stole the Super Bowl from us. Um, you know, so basically the Boston Herald uh, reported, they later recanted, but apparently the Pats had, had taped the Rams pregame walk through uh in uh super bowl 36 um marshall falk would tell reporters after the game before he even knew that about these allegations that quote it was as if they were in our huddle speaking about the patriots defense uh the rams lost that game 20 to 17 on an adam finitary field goal so yeah i mean i i think do you hate them the most more than you know, any divisional? I, no, I, no, I don't because I respect, I, I have a lot of respect for them. I think Brady, Brady, I feel like, I don't feel like he's, I don't hate him. I feel the way towards him. I used to feel towards Montana. Mostly I'm just envious, mm-hmm. jealous, um, angry that he's so cool and playing for a bunch of mass holes. <laughs> um, but uh, they don't deserve him. And Belichick is, brilliant and um i wish my coach was as competitive and evil as him um so mostly i'm just jealous um but um i I, i'm a little sour over that that super bowl the rams were naturally 14 point favorites in that game and that that rams team might have been better than the one that ended up winning the super bowl um but you know martz was the coach not for meal and and uh, Belichick was the guy on the other side, as opposed to Jeff Fisher, who <laughs> was the losing coach uh, of the Rams' 2000 Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, I um, you always think about Super Bowl 36 when the Rams play the Pats. Naturally, naturally. And they have so many weapons. It's just, what, what do you do? What do and you if do? they don't have them, they'll invent them. Yeah. And they're just, That's the it, system. It's like, yeah. That's just the system, so... Good luck with that, Rams. And in week 14, it is the Atlanta Falcons. We are at home. They were 8-8. Eight and eight. This game is December 11th. And with this game, what do you do? What do you do against the Falcons? They're 8-8. Eight and eight. That's kind of like where it's... I feel like we're maybe even on like that same level. We're a little bit similar in terms yep. of like where we're going forward. So at this point, you're getting towards the tail end of the season. You're trying to make your push. What can you do? Yeah, this and, is before we go to... You know, I mean, this is an easy game to maybe overlook. Yeah. It's at home. 
The Falcons might not have a great record at this point. The Rams are about to take on go in their home their home stretch. We're not going to go over those games. Uh, the right, Seattle uh, again on December fifteenth. The 49ers on on Christmas uh, Eve. Christmas Eve. God, those are going to be great. Yeah, and then um, New Year's Day, and then New Year's Day. The Cardinals at home. Oh my God, this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> at the end um, of the year, the whole that that last block of the season is going to be extremely important. I think. And they're going to have to get those the momentum going into after their bye. And against, you know, the Panthers, the Jets, the Dolphins, they're going to have to make some statements there. And it just sucks that the Pats are right there that week 13 before going into this last four game stretch. So I look for the Falcons this game to be kind of like their rebound. Because I'm just expecting that L against the Pats, yeah, and I I'm expecting a demolishing. It's in yeah. Foxborough. Like, all right, that's yep. just just take that. I think so, so December fourth, the Pats are gearing up. Yeah, Brady's already mad. Um, sure, and they, you know, might. Although, if yeah, if they're that, you know, if they go undefeated, maybe they start sitting some guys like they always do, and that's kind of how they ended last year yeah. when they were twelve and four. Um, but I don't expect that to happen against the Rams and at home. So I expect this game against the Falcons to kind of be that rebound and to try and finish strong. So I expect them to win. I expect them to win big, but they are so kind of similar and similarly coached um, that I, I'm i I'm looking forward to it. The Rams are 47-28-2 uh, over the course of their history against the Atlanta Falcons. The, the Rams were actually the first opponent uh, the Falcons ever had. Um, uh, September 11th, 1966. Um, the Rams trotted out, you know, the fearsome foursome and Jack Snow and Roman Gabriel. Um, and the Rams beat the Falcons uh, that day, 19 to 14. Once again, that was their first, the first time the Falcons ever played. But I think the most, the game I always think about when these two teams match up, um, actually goes back to our first guest on the greatest show on grass, Leroy Irvin. <laughs> Um, in 1981, he set an NFL record with 207 yards of punt return yards, um, including 75 yard and 84 yard touchdowns against Atlanta. That was October 11th, 1981. So Leroy Irvin, um, I know you're listening to the show. <laughs> no, I, um, so I, that's, that's, uh, a game I always think about when the, these two teams match up. Since the NFL announced the Rams would be moving back to Los Angeles on January 12th, there's been a ton of anger, disappointment, and resentment coming out of St. Louis circles. But what was the reaction like 70 years before, when the NFL greenlit the Rams' departure from Cleveland to Los Angeles? That is, we have a sense of what the Rams meant to St. Louis, we have a sense what the Rams mean to Los Angeles, but what did the Rams mean to Cleveland? For that, we turn to our special guest, Andrew Clayman a writer for the all-encompassing Cleveland sports site WaitingForNextYear.com. Andrew was born in Akron, Ohio, and now lives in Chicago, where he works as a professional editor and copywriter. Andrew, um, my first question, how, Cleveland fans, were they always so miserable, or did they, <laughs> or did they become miserable over time? Um, 
I would definitely say that it was a slow build over the last 50 years or so. Um, in the time period that we're really going to be talking about here, late 1940s, it was actually probably the peak uh, happiness level of Cleveland sports because you had the Cleveland Browns uh, come into existence and begin a 10 consecutive year run of going to championship games. And you had the Cleveland Indians win the World Series in 1948, which they have failed to do since. So uh, I would definitely not say that that was something pre-existing. It's really been since about the 1960s that that's become the reputation. (laughs) What was the Rams following like in Cleveland? Uh, From what I can gather, it was probably more like a cult following of what we would see, like maybe like a major league soccer team today. Um, the circumstances of the time, uh, the Rams were only in Cleveland for about nine years. They came into existence during the great depression. So they were constantly having financial struggles. They weren't drawing huge crowds. And then you have world war two come along, which, uh, depleted the team to the point where they didn't even feel the team in 1943. So, it wasn't like there was the level of support you would have seen uh, for the Browns before they moved in the 90s or for the Rams before they moved out of L.A. It was just a much smaller thing. I mean, pro football itself was a much smaller, uh, you compared to baseball in the 30s and 40s, it was just a secondary sport. So the, the hardcore Cleveland Rams fans certainly would have been very upset, but I, I think comparing it to what, our modern sensibilities would be of losing an NFL team. Uh, just not quite the same thing. Uh, this wasn't a mediocre team that was, I mean, it's funny. The team, <laughs> the team leaving St. Louis is, is uh, fairly mediocre. The one leaving Cleveland uh, in 1945 had the best player, you know, in the league. Uh, mm-hmm. They were world champions. Um, and um, so, you know, probably among that, uh, so there must have been um, some connection between the city and the team. Well, for sure. And I think as far as I know, it's the only example in major American sports where a team won a championship and moved literally weeks later. I mean, the official announcement came about two weeks after the Cleveland Rams won the 45 NFL championship. Uh, the owner, Dan Reeves announced it like the first week of January. So, uh, there's no doubt that people, I, I think the rumors had been around a bit, but the bigger factor in why there wasn't more of a strong reaction was that the uh, Cleveland Browns uh, were already, they had yet to play their first game, but the buzz had been building around them for over two years. Um, and they were, they were not an NFL team originally. They were part of this uh new conference called the uh, All-American Football Conference, which I think we can sort of look back on now and say, oh, it was just like a fly-by-night, like the XFL or something. But at the time, it actually was very well-funded. They had two teams in New York when there was only one NFL team in New York. They were already introducing franchises in San Francisco and Los Angeles even before the Rams move was announced. Um, And in Cleveland, they had the buzz around Paul Brown, who was already well-known as having been a high school sensation coach at Maslin and then winning a national championship with Ohio State. Where's Maslin? So, 
It's uh, it's near Akron, Akron Canton area. Got it. Uh, so about thirty minutes south of Cleveland. Got it. Um, so when you have this sort of superstar coach, and you're talking about Northeast Ohio, which is like the birthplace of football, so you have a huge high school, college football fan base there already, and the Rams had generally been a not very good team through their short existence, and so once. Uh, during the world, uh, I guess in the middle of World War II, when the uh, Browns came into existence, uh, or at least the pieces started coming together for it, people already started uh, galvanizing towards that. So that I think, probably more so than you would think now, the the Rams' departure was kind of not as devastating as it otherwise would have been because everybody was set to embrace this uh, new team. And as the Browns first season kind of indicates they had the highest attendance of any pro football team in history, NFL or otherwise, in their first season. So there was clearly uh, an easy transition from one to the other. So let me set the stage then uh, for the 1950 championship game. The Rams returned to Cleveland as a 9-3 and underdog uh, to the 10-2 and Cleveland Browns. Uh, it's a game that you wrote about on Waiting for Next Year. That's how we made Mm-hmm. We got in touch with you. Um, the Browns end up winning that game, 30-28. to 28, And Paul Brown, the head coach of the Browns, calls it the greatest game he ever saw. What, what made it so great? Well, I think the first part is just understanding the, the context uh, leading into the game where, you know, five years prior, you had the Rams playing at Cleveland Municipal Stadium, winning their last game ever at Cleveland and the only championship they won there. Um, and Bob Waterfield out of UCLA was a rookie that season and was just the star of the league. MVP comes out of nowhere, this rookie quarterback to lead a team to a championship. So he goes from the hero of Cleveland to um, within five years now, he's returning to the city with the same franchise, but now they are the opponents. It's kind of a, really bizarre circumstance. It's like a, it's a ridiculous, almost too Hollywood sort of script to believe. Um, so that was sort of the, the beginning point of it, that you had uh, Bob Waterfield coming back to Cleveland for the first time playing for the other side. In your story, I think you compared it to uh, LeBron's return with the Miami Heat to Cleveland. I think uh, in terms of his level of celebrity uh, in Cleveland, it might have been like that. I think there was not as much vitriol aimed at Waterfield since he clearly didn't have anything to do with the team moving to L.A. It wasn't a decision on his part. Um, but there was definitely that feeling of, uh, you know, here's our sort of lost love, and now we have a chance to uh, prove that uh, our new team can do anything that the old team did. And you also had the whole dynamic of, you know, this was the Browns' first season in the NFL after coming over from the AAFC. And sort of the old NFL guards uh, looked down on the Browns when they entered the league and thought they wouldn't be able to compete despite the fact that they'd won four championships in that other conference. And the fact that the Browns came in and went 10 and 2 and got to the title game, even then it was, it was kind of like the Jets in Super Bowl three, where you had to prove, uh, that you could finish the job. Um, so I'm not even a hundred percent sure that the Rams were the underdog, maybe because it was in Cleveland, they would have been, but 
Paul Brown had the ultimate thing to prove, which was that his team could win a championship in the NFL against all these people who had doubted him. And then you just happen to have a great game with back and forth scores. And uh, so hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So the stage is set. All right. So uh, we understand the meaning of, uh, of the situation as the Rams enter the field. It's 29 degrees, 28 mile an hour wind. The Rams now have horns painted on their helmets. That's a, that's a a change uh, from the time that Mm -hmm. they, that they played in, in Cleveland. And on the first play from scrimmage, Jane Russell's husband throws an 82 yard touchdown to Liz Taylor's ex. Um, (laughs) It's an incredible uh, beginning to the game, an 82 yard uh, Rams touchdown. And it really, in a lot of ways, it sets the tone for the day. Yeah, I think it's it's important to know too that Bob Waterfield wasn't like a Cleveland guy who went Hollywood when he when the team moved to LA. He was a UCLA guy, and Jane Russell was actually his high school sweetheart. So uh, he was probably more thrilled than anyone when the team moved out west, since that was uh, where his roots were anyway. But yeah, immediately, I mean, you're, you're talking about a change in pro football at this point in time where the old fashioned, um, you know, seven to nothing. Uh, run up the middle uh, muscle versus muscle kind of football was starting to fade out. And you had two teams that really believed in the passing game. Uh, now the weather conditions certainly affected that a little bit, but it was, it was basically Otto Graham, the star quarterback of the Browns versus Bob Waterfield. Um, really the, at the peak of their powers there. Um, so I mean, pretty much any sort of plot point you could look for in a, in an epic matchup uh was there in that game and you you talk about the way that the two teams per the personnel kind of mirrors one another on the field there are 12 uh eventual hall of famers uh on the field um and both have this um uh, increasingly innovative uh wide open uh, air attack the the rams this is you know for we talk about this a lot on the show. This is the heyday of the greatest show on grasp. Um, they are more potent in 1950 than they are in 1951. They had beat some of the, you just look at some of the scores um, of their, their games uh, in 1950. They beat the Colts 70 to 27. They beat the lions 65 to 24 and averaged 38 to 38.8 points a game, which was a record that stood, yeah. stood until 2007. Um, so, so we're going back and forth in this game. Autogram, Bob Waterfield. How does it play out? Well, I think part of it too is that uh, during. Uh, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but during a lot of that season, Norm Van Brocklin was the uh, quarterback. Uh, he was kind of the up and comer, competing with Waterfield at that point. But I think Van Brocklin had suffered a rib injury yep. or something. That's right. And in the Waterfield, it, it set him up to. Uh, to return to Cleveland for this matchup kind of worked out nicely that way. Ben Brocklin um, threw one pass in the game. The last play of the game, he uh, uh, yeah, threw a Hail Mary because he had a stronger arm than, than Waterfield. But, but throughout the game, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we've got a lot of lead changes. Um, we've got a lot of drama. The weather conditions are playing, making an impact. Um, we've got a couple guys playing out of their minds. Um, what do you think was most extraordinary about the way this, this game finished? 
Well, certainly the, the lead changes and the fact that the Rams really seem to have it in the bag in the fourth quarter. They're up 28-20 uh, with just a few minutes left. Uh, and late in the game, when it looks like the Browns are potentially driving to take the lead, Otto Graham fumbles the ball, and it's recovered by one of the few remaining uh, players on the L.A. Rams who was with the Cleveland Rams. His name escapes me at the moment, but it was sort of one of those, an- another ironic twist. And uh, Otto Graham comes off the field dejected. It looks like he's just blown the game, and Paul Brown says, don't worry, we're going to go back out there and get another chance. And sure enough, the, the Rams did what we see teams often do these days and play it overly conservative and just run the ball three straight times for no gain and gives the Browns one last chance. And Graham does the classic two-minute drive about 70 yards down the field to set up Lou Groza for the game-winning field goal in the final seconds. And this is Lou Groza, who's about a 250-pound offensive tackle, who's also the place kicker for the team. Not something (laughs) you would see these days. But, you know, there was all these little stories, too, within the the game itself of uh, you know, one of the, the key players in the game for the Browns, the future Hall of Famer, Len Ford. He had missed almost the entire season. He had suffered a, a serious injury from a, a hard hit back in October and wasn't even expected to play in this game. But again, like you got the Hollywood twist where he's the myth is that he's uh, nagging on uh, Paul Brown all day to put him in the game and let him try to make a difference. And then Len Ford eventually... Paul Brown relents, puts him in, and he makes three huge tackles for losses, including a, a big sack of Waterfield on a key play. And um, yeah, so in both sides of the ball, if you wanted drama, you wanted big numbers. I mean, Otto Graham has a big passing day, but he also runs for 99 yards. Uh, on the other end, you have Tom Fears has a 136-yard receiving day. I mean, you, this is a very modern style of football for 1950. That People might look at the numbers today and be like, "Yeah, it seems like a fun game," but like this was this was a totally different kind of game than what people were accustomed to back then. Talk about cultural memory is, is sort of trying to get a sense. I mean, does anyone remember the Rams in Cleveland anymore? Is there any plaque, you know, at the <laughs> site of the St. Regis Hotel where Waterfield and Russell lived, or? Homer Marshman's house in Waite Hill, uh, where the uh, investment group came together to buy uh, into the American League in 1936. Are there any, um, is there any evidence that the Rams existed in Cleveland? If there is, I'm not aware of it. It really is uh, sort of a strange, forgotten chapter in Cleveland sports. You know, we, uh, secondary to having the reputation for being uh, hard luck losers, we have the reputation of being very passionate sports fans and knowing our history. And um, it, it is, it is strange. I guess, you know, a lot of it has to do with how popular the Browns became in such a short time and how dominant they were. Um, and maybe it's that combination of the Browns being so good, so fast, and then feeling rejected by the NFL and the Rams at the same time. Um, it was kind of this perfect storm. You know, the, the Rams existed during the war years and the Browns came right in the first year after the war when the whole spirits of the country and uh, Cleveland, like anywhere else, uh, more time for leisure, more time for, you know, following a team and uh, creating happy memories with the whole family there. And I think 
a lot of it was just bad timing for the Rams to succeed in Cleveland. And uh, I, I, I think it's it's unfortunate that, you know, considering that the team has got on to be one of the uh, flag bearers of the NFL for all these years, that the fact that they started in Cleveland should be uh, remembered a little more, but you, you don't really see any evidence of it. Thank you for listening to The Greatest Show on Grass podcast, part of the Sideshow Network. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and spread the word to friends who enjoy football, Hollywood history, and their frequently ridiculous overlap.